0: I started a series called Gifted. And just by way of review, this series, we're focusing on gifts of the Spirit, but not the ones that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12. So we're looking at other gifts, and we're having some technical difficulties today, so just ignore what's happening there if anything goes weird. Um, we're looking at some of the other gifts: gift, uh gifts of encouragement. Uh, gift of generosity, gift of hospitality, things like that. And sort of my point, my emphasis in the series is this, that everyone has something to give, that every single person has a vital contribution to make to the body of Christ, that whatever you have, you can bring, and it serves God's purposes, and it helps us fulfill what we want to do. It's wonderful to have people that have... I, I value the gift of administration so much, and you know Why? Because i don't have it, and so i I, get, I can I can create a lot of energy and then sort of make a mess, but people with the gift of administration can kind of take care of that so things like that so just quick review from before I left um, one of the things that I acknowledge and I think we all would all agree on is that our culture has sort of a tendency to oh I, we are going we 're going to talk about hospitality today the gift of hospitality our culture uh we we segregate. We sort of break off into our own little um, cliques or groups. You see this in high school a lot. High school, sort of, you got your sportos, you got your um, goths. I don't know what they all are today. You got your band geeks. Are there still band geeks or are they sportos? Jocks? Rachel's a band geek? You guys are... Sportos. Come on. My, they're, they're making fun of me. I don't know what they're called anymore. You know when I was in high school like 100 years ago? But I'm sure they still do that. They still split up. And then that kind of carries on through society. We continue to do that. And, and look, it's human nature. We feel more comfortable. We're, we're kind of, we like being with people that uh, we, we relate with. We, you know There's a natural thing to that. Uh, but that's not to say that that's necessarily a good thing or the right thing. We also talked about a couple of terms. I hope you can see those. Yeah. So phyloxenia means love of strangers, and that is actually the Greek word in the New Testament that is translated hospitality. So every time you read the word hospitality in the New Testament, it's this word, which actually means love of the other or love of strangers. Uh, but there's another word that's similar that we hear in our culture a lot today called Xenophobia. And that is a fear or hatred of strangers or foreigners. It's, it's, it's that thing that rises up in you when you see somebody different than yourself and you're automatically afraid because that person is different than you. And I think we, we kind of, there's a, a, a kind of a growing sort of sense of that reality and that dynamic happening in our world today. We, though, we as Christians, disciples, followers of Jesus are called specifically to love the other. We are, we are called to love those that are different than ourselves. It's not enough for us to love our friends. It's not enough for us to love people that are like us. It's not enough for us to love people that are easy to love. Hello? Uh, anybody? Are, are you with me or am I the only one? That some people are just harder to love than others. But it's not enough to love only the ones that are easy to love. God calls us, he, he mandates us to love our enemies, to love those that are different than us. Um, and with that, I think we have to also say that love is not abstract. It's concrete. It's not sort of a hypothetical sort of thing. Well, I, I know, I, I, you know, I love other people. I'm very loving. No, there has to be some sort of application, some walking out or working out of that in our lives. It has to be lived out. Uh, we also talked about in, in the Theological Foundation for Hospitality scripturally. And I would encourage you, if you weren't here or if you forgot, to go back and listen to that message. Um, If you go to our website, uh, portlandvineyard.org, up at the top, there's a tab that says About Us. If you click on that tab, there's a drop-down. It'll say Sermons. And if you hit that button right there, a little screen pops up and all the sermons are there. It's amazing. It's lovely. So you can listen to that, and I would encourage you to do that. Um, The essence, though, just the, the short story of the Theological Foundation for Hospitality is this. That we were far off, and God brought us close. That we were the outsider, and God brought us in. That in Jesus Christ, he, he welcomed us and embraced us and brought us home. And because of that, we are, we are to take on the character and the nature of Christ in our own lives and, and welcome others. And um, I was thinking this week, a little, sometimes... Uh, And I thought, you know, what would be really cool is if we could just do that here at church. Um, I I think, by and large, let's just, this is a fairly safe place. I know most of you guys. You're okay. Um, Get to know somebody you don't know. Take a minute and say hello and welcome somebody in. Take them out for coffee, have lunch. Here's what happens when we do that. Here's what happens when we do that is we begin to cultivate a culture of hospitality. And when we cultivate a culture of hospitality, it becomes who we are and then it, it happens when we're together, but it'll also continue to happen when we're not together, when we're when we're separate. You know, you know that we're still the church when we're not here? You're still the church. Yes? You're still the church. And if we have that culture of hospitality happening, we we will be more inclined, it will become natural for us to to welcome others, I, I shared with you a couple weeks ago. I have made it a habit when I see someone that's different than me, uh, when, when, you know, and especially someone that I think might not always be greeted or welcomed in a kind way. I go out of my way. I make an extra effort to smile at them, to say hello, to greet them, and welcome them, just because I I, I want to foster that in my own heart and in my own life. And I found that to be a blessed thing. I found that I get blessed when I do that. I'll tell you this. I was humbled. I was humbled on my trip. We, had, we were in Guatemala, and it's the first time I've ever been to Guatemala, a beautiful country. And uh, the, the, we had a conference of all the vineyard churches in Central America. So leaders and pastors and different people from uh, I think seven different countries came together. And this church in Guatemala hosted us. And I'll tell you, their hospitality... Uh, Guatemala is a, uh, you know, you know I, I spend a lot of time in Nicaragua. They're, they have more resource, and, and they're a, a wealthier country than, than Nicaragua, but they're still nowhere near, like the States, um, in terms of just resource. But their hospitality was so over the top. I mean, I felt like just a special person the whole time I was there and it wasn't just me because I was a gringo it was really that's the way they were to everybody literally they were just so welcoming you know in a conference you've been to conferences and stuff and you have a coffee break and there's a little station in the back where you go get coffee and cookies and they had that there and on this one break I was standing talking to somebody and this lady comes up and she goes excuse me can I can I bring you a cup of coffee and I'm like what she goes would you like a cup of coffee and I, I, Well, yeah, I would. And she went and got me a cup of coffee and brought it to me. I'm like, who does that? You know, uh, it was just so it was it was a blessing. It was really a huge blessing for me. And it, but it convicted me. I felt like, gosh, could, maybe we could be like that. You know. Uh, so today, here's where we are. I wanna I wanna give you a little application today. I wanna talk more about hospitality and and uh, how it works out in our lives. Spoiler alert. Uh, here's the. Yeah. Um, it, my, Today might be a little convicting for some of us, and I think that's okay. I hope it's not condemning. I don't want, the last thing I would ever want is anybody to walk out the door and think, I'm terrible, I'm a bad person, I'm lower than pond scum. Uh, We don't want that, but I want you, maybe, if God speaks to your heart, to think, well, could I do better? Is there something I could do in my life today to engage other people in a a different way? So let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your your, uh, grace towards us. Lord, would you speak to us uh, about the gift of hospitality today and what it means to love and welcome others? your name we pray, amen. I'm going to look at two passages this morning. Probably uh, both are the the maybe one and two most often referenced passages. uh, When we talk about hospitality or welcoming people, Uh, you, you will very likely be familiar with both of them. The first is in... Matthew 25, and it deals with uh, the issue of judgment. Oh, and we lost it. Look at that. It may come back, but in the meantime, if you have a Bible or a device that has a Bible on it, you can join me. I'm going to read Matthew 25, beginning at verse 34. Ah, Look at that. Uh, And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he continues, and then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and we did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do, for one of the least of these you did not do for me. Um, going, I'm going to go against the grain a, l- a little bit here uh, I realize that a- and as always uh, you're you're free to disagree with me if you so desire it's okay um, we have a policy here you don't have to agree with everything I say you do have to buy me a cup of coffee to talk about it that's the rule so for $2.75 I'm happy to have theological conversations all day long not, not, it's just a joke I'll actually buy you a cup of coffee Um Here's my thing. I think that the distinguishing mark of a believer, according to Jesus, is their treatment of other people. It's not um, believing the right things. It's not praying a prayer. Uh, it's not a profession of faith, or a, you know, a hand raised, a card torn, or a secret decoder ring. It is actually... According to Jesus, h- how we treat other people, uh, specifically how we treat the least of these, and and the thing that even is more convicting to me here is that Jesus is personally identifying with the least of these, with those in need. And again, I we don't think in that way very often, but if we did, it would be a game changer. If you looked at every person on the street and you saw Jesus, would you not respond a little differently than you do today? I mean, I'm just saying that that's how he frames this. I do want to say I am not in any way, just for clarification, saying that we can somehow earn our salvation or that uh, you know, we, we, we have to get points or do good things to get into God's kingdom. Uh, we can't earn it. It's by grace and grace alone that we are saved. But what I am saying is this, that I believe the telltale char- characteristic, the identifying mark of one who has received that grace into their life is their willingness and capacity then to love and welcome others in the name of Jesus. That's what I'm saying. Um, I would ask you to consider this today. What does it mean that I accept Jesus in my heart? So we say that, right? I accepted Jesus into my heart. Does that mean that I now have a personal Lord and Savior? Or does that mean that I accepted Jesus in whatever form He may appear to me? So I just would encourage you to give that some thought. Um, Judgment Day as described here, is really not so much... I I think, again, there's a tendency on our part to think that it's about imposing uh, sentences on people's lives when really what it's really more about is asking a question, is my life in line with the radical nature of the kingdom of God? That's what it's really all about. More than what does God have in terms of guilty, not guilty, you go here, you go there, but am I living my life in a way that reflects the nature of God's kingdom. See, here's the deal for me, Christianity is a lot more about how we live our life than it is about where we go when we die. And I just think the evangelical church today is way too focused on where we go when we die and not nearly focused enough on how we live our life today. Sorry. Not sorry. I like this. I you know, she rules. Oh, come back, come back. Please wait. It's Mother Teresa. Ah, there she is, see? I, this guy. Seeking the face of God in everything, everyone all the time. His hand in every happening. Oh, why couldn't I say that? This is what it means... To be contemplative in the heart of the world, seeing the adoring, seeing and adoring the presence of Jesus, especially in the lowly appearance of bread and in the distressing disguise of the poor. I love that, seeing Jesus in the distressing disguise of the poor. Man, um, do we see Jesus? Do you see Jesus? in the young single mother that is struggling to make ends meet and care for her kids and put food on the table and do everything she needs to do just to hold it together? Do you see Jesus in the immigrant family that lives down the street from you? And these are real-life situations for me. We have an immigrant family that lives across the street from us, and I just see Jesus, and I go, I want to love them and welcome them and make sure they feel okay. They know it's safe to be here. You know, Do you see Jesus in the gay teenager that's getting bullied at school, and do you go out of your way to say, let me help you through this process? That's what she's talking about, and that's what Jesus is saying. The second passage is equally familiar. It's the story of the Good Samaritan, and I think we we know it. You guys know it. Uh, But I want to look at this morning the, the introduction to the story, and why does Jesus tell the story? So the Good Samaritan is a parable. Okay, you get that? It's a story that Jesus told. It's, it's a, something he employed very often uh, to teach truth. So he would have a truth that he wanted to communicate. So to communicate that truth, he would tell a story. And that's what the Good Samaritan is. It's a story that Jesus shared to communicate a truth to people that were listening. But why did he tell this story? And this is why. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Uh, an expert in the law, by the way, is not a, a lawyer or a legal person like we would think of today. So th- this would be in reference to biblical law. And at that time, of course, biblical law and civil law were much more closely aligned. They were basically one and the same thing, not like today. But So this person would have been an Old Testament scholar, would have understood uh, you know, the, the Deuteronomic law. And so he says to Jesus, Te- teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus does what he often does. I I, I just love Jesus' way of drawing truth out of people. And he answers a question with a question. And he says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you answered correctly. Gold star, A plus, do this and you will live. And so he got it right. He got it right. And we could have gone, gone home happy that day. The man asked a question, what do I have to do? Jesus said, well, what do you think? And he gave the correct answer, and all was well, but the man wanted to justify himself. And so he asks the fatal final question, and who is my neighbor? Is my neighbor my next-door neighbor? Or is it the guy across the street? Or is it my block? Is it my block? Is it my city? My city is that my neighbor? But those people in Tualatin, who no, we don't want to go to them. Or is it my country, America? America is my neighbor, but everybody else get the hell off my property. You know, I'm just. Who is my neighbor? Here's the thing. We can discuss it all day long, and as long as we're talking about it, you don't have to do it. Isn't that the truth? As long as you're discussing it, if you're debating over who's my neighbor and who's my not, not my neighbor, you don't have to do anything about it. But here's the thing. The the subversive nature of the kingdom of God is that it doesn't start with the question, who is my neighbor? It starts with who was a good neighbor? Who was a good neighbor? Who was a good neighbor. It asks the question, what am I to do? How am I to love? You guys know the story. And and I've we've talked about this before, but kind of, a, you know, the thing about the Good Samaritan is that the hero of the story was a Samaritan. The Samaritan is a despised person. He is the foreigner. He is the other. He is the outsider. And he is the one that stops and helps the guy on the road. The bad guys in the story are the religious right, The priest and the Levite. The pastor and the elder. They're the ones that didn't stop. And you've got to understand something. This is shocking to the audience. As people are sitting, just picture... The room. Jesus is responding to this this question. He tells this story. guy's on a road. He's walking. He gets mugged and beat up and left for dead. Pastor crosses the road so he doesn't have to see him. Uh, An elder of a church crosses the road so he doesn't have to see him. And then a foreigner, an outsider, comes and helps the guy, a Samaritan. And when he said that, the people in the room would have went, What? I mean that is that is a twist at the ending that M Night Shyamalan would be proud of. Okay? That was that was not what they were expecting to happen. The Samaritan was the good neighbor because he was willing to make space in his life for someone in need. Um I don't know, we don't know, no one knows. Jesus probably does. Uh why any of these folks were on the road that day. Where were they going, right? We don't know that. But here's the thing. My assumption is this, that they all had someplace to go. They weren't just out on a a walk. They were going somewhere. They had something to do. The priest and the Levite are, are relatively important people in society, and maybe they had somewhere important to go. Maybe they were busy. Maybe they had a meeting, Maybe, maybe they had to get to the temple to prepare for the upcoming worship service. I don't know, but the point is that they crossed the road so they didn't have to walk past the person in need. If you cross the road, you eliminate responsibility from your own life. If you cross the road, you can justify yourself. If you cross the road, you can say, oh, you know, I bet that guy's just resting. He's just taking a little break. He's probably okay. I think he's waiting for somebody to come and pick him up. We can justify ourselves if we don't look. But, I mean, I'm going to ask this. If you're on the road and you just got mugged, what do you want somebody to do? This is like, to me, you read about this now and then you'll read a report in the news where some, something happened. There's a crime. It goes on. Somebody's being harassed or hurt or injured. And and people don't don't help. They don't help. And you go, what were they thinking? And then, you, you know, it's easy to say that when you're not there. But what were they thinking? Why didn't they help? In this case, the crime had already been committed. The guy is just there. The The robbers were gone. We don't know. They could have been hiding in the bushes. I don't know. But the reality is that the first two people to walk by didn't do anything. So there's a couple of obstacles, and here's where we'll kind of bring it home. Uh, a couple of things I think we face in, in in our ability to do this. One is this: it's easy to become somewhat demotivated if we hold people in judgment. What I mean by that is this: oh, those people. That, that's they just that's that's they do that kind of thing those those people are just lazy and that's why they're in the situation they're in those guys if they didn't go there in the first place then that wouldn't happen to them and anytime we begin to think in us them those people sort of terms i believe that we lose touch with the heart of god because we're encouraged to remember that when we were far off jesus brought us near Okay, So the thing is this, when you take that out of the equation, those people, those guys, uh, you also take deserve off the table. Did they deserve that? I don't know. Maybe they did. Did you deserve God's grace? No, you didn't. We take deserve off the table. You and I did not deserve what God did for us, so just because somebody doesn't deserve our help doesn't necessarily mean we're not supposed to give it. He thought, Jesus thought, they were worth dying for. Just saying. Any prejudice whatsoever is antithetical to the kingdom of God. Any prejudice in our hearts is antithetical to the kingdom of God. Okay, second thing that hinders us from hospitality, less volatile but equally damaging. Uh, Here's the thing. There are probably any number of you, I know you guys, you're pretty nice people for the most part. Maybe you say, we don't have judgment in our heart. We don't think that way. We're better than that. And I would agree, probably you are. But I think probably every single one of us at some point in time has said, you know what? I'm just too busy. I'm just too busy. I I got so much going on in my own life. How do I make time for somebody else? And again, I'm going to say this. I'm confident that the man on the road that day had somewhere to go. I'm confident they had something to do. And yet the Samaritan stopped. And I just think that we are called by God to reflect upon our own lives and ask the question, if I'm just too busy, what does that mean? If I'm too busy to make space in my life for other people, what does that mean in terms of my relationship with God? Um... So cute I just <laughs> um, The Samaritan was willing to stop and put his agenda on hold in order to help this person. He made space in his life. So we're going to close I'm going to tell you a story to close, a little short story uh, about a friend of mine. It's a true story. Uh, there's a guy named Jim Poole. Uh, he's kind of crazy. Jim is uh, my counterpart. He is the Vineyard Mission's regional coordinator for parts of Africa, uh, northern Africa. So he works with church planting there. And he and his wife, Megan, also pastor a vineyard church in a suburb of Detroit, Michigan. Jim likes to refer to Detroit as America's third world country. And anybody that's not been living under a rock and you're aware of economic things in the news and everything in the last 20 years, you know Uh, that he's not far off, that Detroit is a tough place to live today. Uh, So Jim and Megan and their three kids, they have a teenage 15-year-old son and two younger daughters. They live in a suburb of Detroit in a neighborhood that has decent schools and is probably uh, 60% white and 40% African-American. Um, but recently, the Lord spoke to them and put it on their hearts, and they are today in process of selling their home and, and buying a home of lesser value that will almost assuredly decrease in value over time in a neighborhood that's 90% African-American and 10% white with less good schools because they believe they're supposed to make space in their life for other people that are different than them and extend the hospitality of the kingdom. And I tell you, he shared that with us in a meeting, and I sat there and I thought, the same thing I thought when that lady brought me the cup of coffee. Who does that? Who does that? I mean, this guy's my hero. He's putting everything on the line to make space in his life for people. And I can't stop to help somebody on the road. So, um, let's stand.